Welcome to Beyond Journal Club, a new collaboration with NEJM Group where we take landmark trials and put them into context. Too often with Journal Club, it's easy to get lost in the details of an article, struggling to figure out the clinical relevance through the tsunami of p-values, confidence intervals, and long table ones. So today, we will try to go beyond our typical journal clubs and instead tell a story of how we got to where we are to really appreciate the clinical question of the trial at hand and then get into what these findings mean for our patients. I'm Dr. Shreya Shervetti, an internist at Beth Israel Deaconess Medical Center. I'm Dr. Greg Katz, cardiologist at NYU. And I'm Dr. Clement Lee, a senior editorial fellow at the New England Journal of Medicine, which is part of NEJM Group. Yes, we are so excited to launch this new collaboration between CoreIM and NEGM Group. So today we are talking the REVIVE trial, which was published in the October 13th, 2022 issue of the New England Journal of Medicine. It's a really relevant trial to me because it lives at the intersection of two diseases that I see so frequently, heart failure and coronary artery disease. REVIVE asked a very simple question. Does putting stents into patients with severe coronary artery disease and a reduced ejection fraction make them live longer or reduce heart failure hospitalizations? Uh, this is a great question because I can't tell you the number of times I've taken care of patients with a new drop in ejection fraction. The knee-jerk reflex is to send them for a quote-unquote ischemic evaluation, go to the cath lab, look at their coronary anatomy. But you know, now that we're bringing this up, what's the thought behind this ischemic evaluation? And why are we just cathing these patients who aren't actually having myocardial infarctions and may not even be having angina? You can't understand the decision about doing an ischemic evaluation if you don't understand the history of revascularization and heart failure. Exactly. So today, first, we're going to go through the story of revascularization and heart failure. And then we'll paint the story of revascularization in stable ischemic heart disease. And finally, we're going to talk about how these two tales become intertwined with the REVIVE trial and the implications when you look at its results. So let's start with a story behind revascularization and heart failure. And just so we're all on the same page, when we use the term quote-unquote revascularization, we basically mean putting in stents or doing bypass surgery for someone who has severe coronary artery disease, so someone with at least 70% blockage. Yeah, so the landmark trial that established the role of revascularization in ischemic cardiomyopathy is the STITCH trial, published in the New England Journal in 2011. Or, to be a bit more precise, the long-term follow-up of STITCH, called STITCHES, published in 2016. STITCH took patients with a reduced ejection fraction and ischemic heart disease and randomized them to cabbage plus medical therapy versus medical therapy alone. They found that cabbage carried an upfront risk of dying but that when you follow these patients for a long time, there's a reduction in death, about a 7% absolute risk reduction in all-cause mortality over 10-year follow-up. Wow, that's like a number needed to treat of like 14 to save one life with bypass. That is pretty impressive. Yeah, and they, looking at all-cause death is a pretty important endpoint, <laughs> I would argue. Yes. Yeah, me too. Although, Greg, I think it's worth noting that in STITCH, these patients were really sick. They had multivessel coronary disease that's amenable to bypass. 40% had diabetes. They had low EFs. And most of them had symptoms of both heart failure and angina. I think it's pretty telling just how sick they were that when you look at the long-term follow-up data for these patients, for the ones who didn't get bypassed, two-thirds of them had died. Yeah, numbers like that put in real perspective just how sick these patients are. So why did STITCH have such a mortality benefit? Well, the patients who had bypass surgery ultimately had fewer deaths from fatal arrhythmias, 
fewer deaths from pump failure and fewer deaths from acute MIs. So bypass surgery kind of makes everything better. Yeah. And then from a pathophysiology perspective, the thought is that if you open up the blocked arteries in a patient with a low ejection fraction, then better blood flow is going to help that ejection fraction recover and improve. Greg, I'm curious, have you seen this actually pan out though? So I've I've definitely seen cases where the ejection fraction improves in a patient after they get revascularized, but that certainly doesn't happen all the time. Right? This is the so-called hibernating myocardium theory where better blood flow means better pump function. Yeah. So it sounds like STITCH really put surgical revascularization in heart disease on the map as something that has mortality benefit in those with symptoms and multivessel coronary disease. But you know what's bugging me? What? What's that? That STITCH looked at bypass surgery, but Revive, the trial that we're talking about today, is looking at stents. Yeah. And now that you bring this up, we do have data that stents are not as good as bypass when it comes to patients who have complex coronary disease or patients with diabetes, right? There was a Freedom trial in the New England Journal that showed that in those with diabetes and anatomy that was amenable to bypass or a percutaneous intervention, bypass was better in preventing death, myocardial infections, stroke. It's a really important point. And to that, I'd add, we have to keep in mind, Stitch published their 10-year follow-up in 2016, which means they started enrolling patients in the early 2000s. The role of stents in general has changed quite a bit over that time. There was a time when we used to put stents in for every abnormal stress test, not to mention all of the asymptomatic patients who we would just send for regular stress testing. Painful to hear. Low value care indeed. Yeah, it was low value, but times have changed and indications for stents aren't the same as they were when Stitch was designed. Yeah. So then why don't we move on to stents and the other disease of interest in the REVIVE trial, stable ischemic heart disease. I feel like this is going to be bedtime story time with Papa Greg. Uh, I can only imagine the alphabet soup of landmark trials that is going to help us tell the story of how our understanding of stents have changed. I am kind of excited for this. <laughs> yeah, but I think you should be careful what you wish for when you give the cardiologist an open invitation to discuss clinical trials. Yeah, that is true. I feel like it's going to be like my toddler being like, okay, one more story, one more story. <laughs> <laughs> At the same time that the story of revascularization and heart failure was evolving, the overall management of all stable ischemic heart disease was evolving too. Wait, speaking of stable ischemic heart disease, before we get into story time with the trials of stents, can we just make sure we're on the same page on what we mean by the word stable in stable ischemic heart disease? Absolutely. Stable in this context means no recent acute coronary syndrome, no recent STEMI, NSTEMI, unstable angina no progressive anginal syndrome, no chest pain at rest. So if we're talking about the patient who has significant coronary disease, who may or may not have stable chest pain, right? So chest pain that comes on predictably with exertion and improves with rest. Great. And now that we have that squared away, if I remember correctly, there are two big trials in the story of stents and stable ischemic heart disease, courage and ischemia, both also published in the journal in the last two decades. Yes. Courage is the landmark trial published in 2007, asking whether putting stents in for patients with stable coronary artery disease reduces death and non-fatal MI. And the answer is that it really only reduces angina in the short term. It doesn't make patients live longer, and it doesn't make patients feel better over the long haul. Hmm. So Courage makes us feel pretty comfortable not putting in stents in stable patients. Oh, I did not expect that. You'd think that fewer blockages, the better. So 
I'm curious, do we see the same thing then with even sicker patients with even more coronary disease? That's where the ischemia trial comes in. The ischemia trial is fascinating. It was published in 2019 in the journal, but ischemia enrolled patients with moderate or severe ischemia on stress tests. And we're talking the kind of stress tests that often get outpatients sent directly from the stress lab to the emergency room. Mm. Ischemia showed us that putting stents in these patients may reduce MIs, but it doesn't save lives, and it takes a pretty long time to show that MI benefit. Although to be fair, we don't have 10-year outcomes data for ischemia like we do with Stitch or Courage, right, Greg? That's totally accurate, but when you're presenting someone with a decision to make right now, the ischemia trial certainly makes me feel comfortable that there's no rush in these patients to do anything other than treat them medically. That's a fair point. And if a cardiologist is comfortable, so am I. <laughs> yes. All right. So maybe if I can take a stab at summarizing the big picture, it seems like in the story of stents, in the early days, we were asking the question, what can we do with stents? But I think as more data came in with these trials, the question started to become, what should we do with stents? That's such a great way to frame the way that the field has changed. Most cardiologists today are way less aggressive about putting in stents and way more aggressive about using medical therapy to treat heart disease. But for our patients with ischemic cardiomyopathies, it's pretty hard to ignore that stitch data when the mortality from the disease is just so high. Yeah, and this is where the revived trial comes in, right? Again, asking the question, does putting in stents into patients with severe coronary disease and a reduced ejection fraction make them live longer? and prevent heart failure hospitalizations. In other words, for those patients with ischemic cardiomyopathy that would have qualified for bypass, wouldn't it be amazing if we could get the benefit of stitch without cracking open their chests? Oof, that is a mm. great yep. question. Very patient-centered. Let's get into it. <laughs> Just a quick word from our sponsor. We all want to eat healthier, but let's be honest, between our busy schedule and the endless prep and cleanup, it feels kind of out of our reach. You know, we often are aiming for better nutrition, but end up compromising for quick fixes that are anything but healthy. Now, imagine a different scenario. Picture a day where you're coming home to gourmet, nutritious meals that are ready in just two minutes. With Factors, that is possible. Factors delivers delicious, chef-crafted, dietitian-approved meals right to your door, ready to heat in just two minutes, giving you over 35 weekly options to choose from, from calorie smart to protein plus to keto. And don't forget, they have 60 plus add-ons for an extra boost from breakfast to midday bites, so you're not spending all your time and money in the hospital's cafeteria. So no prep, no mess, just real mouth-watering meals tailored to fit your schedule and dietary needs. With Factor, you're not just saving time, but you're elevating your meal game without the hassle of cooking. Head to factormeals.com slash coriam50. Use the code coriam50 to get 50% off. That's the code CORIAM50 at factormeals.com slash CORIAM50. Let's get started with who was enrolled in the REVIVE trial. Yeah, let's take a look. These were patients with a reduced ejection fraction and extensive coronary disease. So about half of the patients had a prior MI and about half had two vessel disease. From a symptom perspective, most had minimal heart failure symptoms and no angina. There was a fair amount of the standard risk factors, like half had hypertension, 40% had diabetes, and 70% were smokers. And of note, this trial was done in the UK, so most of the patients were white. And I want to emphasize these were stable coronary artery disease patients. People were excluded with an acute coronary syndrome in the past four weeks or a heart failure exacerbation in the past three days. 
It's also worth noting that they all had viability established to ensure that the myocardium being revascularized wasn't fully scarred, which suggests that there won't be a benefit from improving blood flow to dead tissue. This basically means that all the patients had viable myocardium and some potential to have at least some degree of cardiac recovery if we improve blood flow to the myocardium. Right. One critique of the study that we should probably point out specifically about that viability is that the PIs did not submit the data regarding if those viable portions of the heart matched up with portions of the heart anatomy that actually got revascularized. And if you want to get into the weeds of this, there's a whole editorial on it that we will link in the show notes. Yeah, and now back out of the weeds and back into the grass <laughs> or the lawn, let's look at the methods of the trial. Um, it all seems pretty rigorous to me. They had a blinded core lab that verified the endpoints, and they used standardized questionnaires for patient-reported outcomes. Right. So they took this group of patients, and they randomized them to medical therapy alone or medical therapy with stents. And drumroll, please. <laughs> Thank you, Clem. What they found was pretty disappointing. Uh, after about three and a half years, the patients who got stents did not have any differences in mortality or heart failure exacerbations than medical therapy alone. And it doesn't really matter how you slice that data. You can look at subgroups. You can look at each individual element of the composite outcome. You can look at quality of life. Everything basically showed no difference between putting in stents or just treating people with medicines. Okay, what an adventure this has been. Can you walk us through one more time that journey? Absolutely. So Stitch showed us that patients with a low ejection fraction and multivessel coronary artery disease live longer after bypass surgery. Courage showed us that patients with stable coronary artery disease don't live longer or have fewer MIs from getting stents, but stents do relieve angina better in the short term than medications alone. Ischemia cemented that story in stable ischemic heart disease. Even patients with a more extensive CAD burden and very abnormal stress tests don't have their lives saved or less hospitalizations for unstable angina, heart failure, or cardiac arrest by putting in stents. Yeah, and then the REVIVE trial looked at both heart failure with reduced ejection fraction and severe coronary artery disease and found that stents did not change mortality or heart failure hospitalizations. You know, I'm thinking about where these results leave us now, and I think maybe the most optimistic read of REVIVE is that we probably don't need to rush to open up blocked arteries with stents in our patients with stable coronary disease who have heart failure. That's exactly right. Stable coronary artery disease is just that. It's stable. There is no signal in any of the revascularization data, from courage to ischemia to revive. There's no signal that we get any immediate benefit from stenting patients who are not having heart attacks, except for the fact that we're better able to treat angina. You know, this is pretty striking when we compare uh, these results to STITCH, right? Both STITCH and REVIVE looked at patients with pretty extensive coronary disease. Their ejection fractions had taken a hit. Although I, I will make the big caveat that these populations don't match up exactly, but there is overlap, right? But we saw a pretty big difference in the outcomes. STITCH had pretty significant mortality benefit, but with REVIVE, we did not see any benefit at all. So what gives here? How do we explain this discrepancy? There's a lot of possible explanations here. Maybe stents are inferior to bypass surgery, or maybe we haven't followed these patients long enough in REVIVE to see a mortality benefit. Yeah. Or maybe because in REVIVE, the medically treated patients were more likely to get defibrillators so they didn't die of sudden cardiac death, and they were also more likely to have an unplanned trip to the cath lab so they didn't die of an untreated MI. Or 
honestly, maybe the most boring explanation is the right one. Medical therapy in the era of Revive is different and better than medical therapy in the era of Stitch. Yeah, I was thinking about that as well. The world of heart failure is so different now with SGLT2 inhibitors, angiotensin neprilysin inhibitors, and cardiac resynchronization therapy. And ischemic heart disease management is also different, right? We now have azetamide, we have PCSK9 inhibitors on top of statins, and now we also have changed the game of how we treat cardiometabolic disease. We have GLP-1 agonists, SGLT2 inhibitors, the ball game's very different. Right. And as medical therapy for any disease gets better, the role that procedures play is necessarily going to decrease. Right. But, but you want to know what the kicker here is? If you look at the tables from the revived supplementary appendix where they discuss the medical therapy, it's pretty striking that these patients weren't even optimally treated for either coronary disease or for heart failure. Mm, yeah, you're totally right. Only half were on mineralocorticoid receptor antagonists, and only 20 to 30% were on an ARNI. Although I will say that enrollment started in 2013, so that's before the data for ARNIs and SGLT2 inhibitors had come out. And so we can only imagine just how well the patients in the medical therapy arm may have done if they had been on contemporary guideline-directed therapy for heart failure. And so I think it's safe to say that the routine revascularization of every single patient with an ischemic cardiomyopathy certainly isn't urgent and may not even be necessary. But we shouldn't throw out the whole idea of putting in stents or doing bypass surgery. It still plays a really important role in how we manage lots of patients. Keep in mind, patients with persistent or progressive angina still have a huge benefit from going to the cath lab. Yeah, it's important to keep emphasizing that we're talking about stable coronary disease. Now that we have the results of the REVIVE trial, what do you think the next steps are, Greg? So the most important conclusion here is medical therapy is really, really good, and we should do it, and we should do it better. But maybe the next investigation step is to redo the STITCH trial in the era of contemporary medical therapy and see if bypass surgery still makes these patients live any longer which I know may make my cardiac surgery colleagues a bit frustrated with me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but maybe on the other hand, they'll be happy we're not calling them at 5 p.m. on Friday. <laughs> that will make anyone happy. All right, so there you have it. The first edition of Beyond Journal Club with NEGM Group discussing the way the REVIVE trial adds to the body of literature on the way we manage coronary artery disease and heart failure with a low ejection fraction. And that is a wrap for today. If you found this episode helpful, please share with your team and colleagues and give us a rating on Apple Podcasts or whatever podcast app you use. It really does help people find us. And if you have any feedback, please email us at hello at coreimpodcast.com. The opinions expressed are our own and do not represent the opinions of any affiliated institutions. 